Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, the God of all that exists. And today, we thank you for Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, that we might have life in all of its abundance today and forever. God, we pray that your spirit would be poured into our hearts today, that as we hear your word and we reflect upon it, that you will speak to us the message that we need to hear so that we can go out into this world in which we live and live in a way that will bring you glory and honor, that will give us the assurance that we are indeed yours and yours alone from now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So how did it go with living in the power of God so you could bring glory to God in the past week? That was our commitment last week. Remember we said that we will glorify God by living in his power. And a lot of times, for those of you who are new, you might not know what I'm talking about, we have a commitment at the end of every message. And a lot of times we just go from week to week and we just sort of assume, or I sort of assume, that you probably have done the commitment during the week. But, I mean, did you bring light to some dark situations in the past week? That's what God's power does. Did you bring zest and vitality to situations that are sort of maybe, you know, struggling? Did you show uh, people the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus? Because that's what we do. And one of the things that I, I, I actually said it last week, I say it often here, is information, which we have a lot of information in this book we call the Bible, the Word of God, minus application is just information. But here at New Life, our goal is that we will share the information and receive it um, in, in the truth in which it's given and also in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can apply it and, and the world will be transformed. That was God's plan in Jesus Christ, that he would equip people who would go out into the world and share the truth in action so that the world could be transformed. And it has been pockets here, pockets there, little by little, but we still have a lot of work to do. So... The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, and the series we're in, if you could see by the the bumper video, is called Sit, Walk, Stand. And uh, we're going to find out today where that word sit comes from in the three-verb statement of the series title. But through the course of the six chapters of the letter, the Apostle Paul gives us three commands, basically. We're supposed to sit, walk, and stand. And we'll see more about the walk and stand part in future messages. We're on the front end of this series. It's only the third week. And in the first couple of weeks, what we have done is we've turned to Ephesians chapter 1. And we've taken two weeks on the first chapter. It's a six-chapter book. I think I might have said that already. But the first chapter and the half, first half, the pastor Brad talked to us about the important key is that we're redeemed. By Jesus Christ. Now, redeemed is a word that comes out of slavery. In fact, a slave who is redeemed is set free and becomes a free person. And we all, by virtue of living in this world, which is fallen because the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, sinned, we're all sinners. And so we're all in slavery to sin. And as a result, we're also slaves to death. But Jesus, the Son of the living God, came to the earth and he lived a perfect life. And and then he gave that life willingly. He died on the cross, taking the penalty that we owed and, and paying it by his life for our life, the perfect for the imperfect. And so now we're redeemed. If Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives, we're redeemed. And then last week, what we talked about was how we can have God's infinite cosmic power in our lives. 
That's what Paul told the Ephesian believers next. He told them that we can have that infinite cosmic power that comes from God inside of us once we are believers, once we're redeemed, and in fact, no matter what the sin, no matter what the addiction, no matter if we just don't care, whatever it is that's the problem in our life today, God will address it by the redemption that Jesus gave us and by his power if we avail ourselves of it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to move on to chapter 2, and as we move on to chapter 2, we're going to address a new and a very important reality, and it's the first word in the title of the series, sit. We're going to talk about where we're sitting and why we're sitting. And so if you would, please turn with me to uh, page 20 in the study guide, if you have a study guide. If you don't have a study guide and you want one, just raise your hand and somebody will bring you one right now. But on page 20 of the study guide, this is where we find Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10 is on page 21. The text, um, the title is Sitting in the Seat of Honor. Sitting in the seat of honor. Now, I hope that some of you, all of you, I hope, have at one time or another had the opportunity to sit in a seat of honor. Maybe it was your birthday, and so they had a party for you, you know, and you got to sit in the seat of honor. Or maybe it was an award ceremony, maybe at school or someplace, and you had done something special, so they gave you the seat of honor. But someplace in your life, I hope that you've had that opportunity to sit at the seat of honor. Now, that's cool if that happens. If it didn't happen, okay, because I have... It's all right, because I have the best seat ever for you. It's Actually, I don't have it. Jesus does. It's the seat of honor, and it's right next to him. So what we're going to talk today about is being seated, on the, or sitting on the seat of honor with Jesus. Picture Jesus right here next to me, and I get to sit next to him. And what we're going to talk about as we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, is how we get to sit here. What is it that happened that causes us to be able to sit here? And the take-home point, again, if you're new, we have one point we seek to make every week. It's right here in your booklet, if you look, is how we get to sit there. It says, Jesus died and rose again to give us the seat of honor with him. So Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is the power source that allows us to sit there. And what we're going to do as we read this scripture is we're going to find out where we started and where we are and where we're ultimately going to be because of what Jesus Christ did. So you can either follow along in your study guide or it will be up on the screen or if you have your own Bible and you'd like to you know, follow along in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I, I believe these are 10 of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible um, because they tell us the reality of the way it was and the way it can be or the way it is in our lives because of Jesus. So the first verse says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? <laughs> we were all dead. We were born dead. We, we were sinners. Now, the Apostle Paul may not have thought that of himself whenever he was born. Because Paul was born as a Jew. And as a Jew, what Paul realized was he was part of God's chosen people. And he would have been told that from the time he could remember. You're one of God's chosen people. You are one of God's chosen people. You're not a Gentile. Gentiles are anybody that's not a Jew. And as Paul grew up, he studied the, the Old Testament. We would call it the Word of God. And eventually, Paul became a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees, we've heard about Pharisees, and we usually think Pharisees, ah, right? Because the Pharisees were the people that were against Jesus. The Pharisees actually were good people. 
They really were. I mean, as people go, they were good people because they followed or tried to follow the law of Moses. They had learned and probably memorized the more than 600 laws in the law of Moses. And they believed that if you followed all the laws, then you would have God's favor. And the Pharisees believed that they did it. In fact, if you read Philippians chapter 3, which is a different letter that Paul wrote, he told the people in the church at Philippi in chapter 3 that as far as Pharisaic righteousness went, he said, I was faultless. In other words, I was perfect. Now, Paul had an experience that was going to change all of that in his life. And in fact, what Paul had happened to him is after, after um, Paul grew up to be a Pharisee, this guy came on the scene named Jesus. Now, Jesus and the Pharisees didn't like each other at all. Jesus, you know, he kept calling the Pharisees hypocrites. And, and hypocrite is a bad word because it means that you say one thing, but you don't do it. You do the opposite of what you say. And so over time, the Pharisees came to believe that Jesus was a menace to their nation because if people listened to, the, to Jesus' message, they would stop listening to the Pharisees' message and they would stop following the law of Moses. And, and pretty soon there would be this uproar. And because the, the Jews at the time were under the thumb of the Romans there would probably be the Roman army coming in and just wiping them all out. So they convinced the Roman governor, Pilate, that Jesus was a menace and he needed to be killed, and, they, and so they executed him. Now, you have to picture this because there were 12 original followers of Jesus who were called disciples. One of them, Judas, hung, hanged himself after Ju, uh, Jesus was crucified, or actually before, um, because he was so sad that he had turned Jesus in because he didn't think they were going to kill Jesus. Um, so anyway, there's 11 guys left, and these 11 guys, when Jesus was crucified, these guys scattered like cockroaches when you turn on the light at night. I mean, they were scared to death. They didn't want to have anything to do with being around Jesus because they thought that they would be crucified too. But about 50 days after Jesus died, um, these same 11 guys, and actually a lot more, about 120 altogether, they started showing up in the temple and in, every, in, in downtown Jerusalem, and they started saying some strange things. What they started saying was that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they said that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but he went back into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit to this group of people, and then he promised to come back. And then these group, this group of people, they backed up what they were saying by performing amazing signs and wonders, like healing blind people and, you know, and, and dead people were being raised back to life, all kinds of different stuff. And, and so now the Pharisees had a new problem. The old problem was Jesus and Jesus was dead, but now they're saying he isn't dead. And, and now Paul is a Pharisee. He's known as Saul to his friends because that's the Hebrew name that he had. And, and so they decided they needed to wipe out this sect. And a sect is just a group of a religion. You know, the Pharisees were a sect. The Sadducees were a sect. And, and now we have this group called the Way. And the reason, they weren't called Christians yet. They were called the way because Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Pharisees believed they needed to get rid of all of the followers of the way. And so, because, you know, they were subverting the true faith and taking, you know, taking people away from following the law of Moses. So Paul, Saul at the time, was given some letters from the church or the synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem and was to go to Damascus, a city north of Jerusalem, in order to arrest these Christians who weren't called Christians yet. And as Saul is walking along with a group of people where they're going to arrest these people in Damascus and bring them back and put them in prison in Jerusalem or even worse, um, all of a sudden this bright light appeared in the, in the heavens and Saul heard a voice. 
And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Saul didn't know who it was, but he knew this was not an ordinary thing. And, 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 he, and he, he sort of looked up in the sky and he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, it is Jesus whom you're persecuting. And in that instant, a lot of things happened for Saul. Number one is Saul realized that Jesus was real, that he was alive, that he had indeed risen from the dead. Saul was also blinded in that moment, and so they had to lead him to Damascus by the hand. And for three days, he didn't eat or drink anything, and he was praying, and he was considering what was going on in his life, and he couldn't see. And, and then three days later, this Christian named Ananias came in, and he said to Saul, Brother Saul, you know, God gave me a message for you. And the message was basically this. Um, I'm going to heal you. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna be, you're going to be baptized, and then you're going to preach for me to the Gentiles. <laughs> that had to be a pretty serious message for a Pharisee to hear. You're kidding me, right? You know, I'm a, I'm a good person. And, and, but in all of this, Saul realized something. Uh, he realized he wasn't a good person, and he realized he needed Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Saul had been saying that he was a good person. Now he realized he's a sinner. Saul had been saying that the way that you get saved is by following the law of Moses. Now what Saul was saying, and he started calling himself Paul because that was a name that Gentiles were more likely to listen to. Paul said this to the Gentiles, you know, um, you can't be saved by the law. You can't be saved by being good because nobody's good. You can only be saved by Jesus. And we're going to get to that salvation in a minute. But you see, Saul realized something. Now that he's calling himself Paul, he realized that all of us, as it says in verse 1, were, yet, were sinners. And then it says this in verse 2. You used to live in sin or walk in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, not only is Paul saying that we're not basically good, that we're all bad, but now he's saying we all follow the devil. We're all listening to the devil. That's what we do. By nature, we follow the devil. Now, this message preached about 100 years ago in this country. 100 years ago in this country, if, you, if I stood up in front of a group of people and I said, you're all a bunch of sinners, you're lower than worms, you're lower than dirt, you would all go, amen. But not so much these days. You see, 100 years ago, people would hear that message and they would say, yes, we are. We know we are. But, but now we think we're all basically good. We, we think the culture has taught us that there isn't really any sin. And we're all sort of, you know, okay, we just need tweaked a little bit, you know, tuned in a little bit, and then we'll be fine. In fact, last uh, December, uh, my, our family was in New York City, and I saw this guy standing on a street corner with a microphone, and he was saying, y'all are going to go to hell. He was saying, you're all sinners. And you know what people were doing? They were ignoring him, and they were laughing at him. They were ignoring him and laughing at him. And the thing is, the story is still true. We are sinners, and we all are destined for hell. It was true 100 years ago. It was true 2,000 years ago. But in New York City in 2015, people just laughed at it. And I think even here in Saxonburg in 2016, people are still laughing at the story that, that we're all sinners. But what, what Paul says is, and he, he makes it very, very clear in verse 3, he says this, all of us used to live that way. All of us. 
Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And Paul had said it a little more clearly than that, succinctly than that, in Romans 3.23. He said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, what Paul is going to do in chapter 6 of this letter, which we're going to get to in August, he's going to tell us what it means to be in this spiritual battle where we are fighting against our enemy, the devil, and, and we have the power of God, but it's a spiritual battle. And guess what? If we don't know we're in a spiritual battle, we're going to lose. If we don't understand that we have an enemy, he's very real, and he's speaking to us all the time, and how do we know when the devil speaks to us? It's easy. He's always lying, but it will sound like the truth because the devil is a deceiver. And so what Paul is going to tell us next is that even though all of that is true, we can stand against him. That's the third verb, sit, walk, stand. We can stand against the enemy because of what Jesus did, and that's where verse 4 is. It's just the sometimes in the Bible when you see the word but... It's a bad thing. It leads to something negative. But in this case, this is one of the best examples of when but is a good thing. It says, but even though you were sinners, even though you were turned away from God, even though you were lower than dirt, even though you're following the devil, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. You see, this is the good news. The good news is that even though we all turned away from God, it wasn't God's plan for us to turn away. It was Adam and Eve's plan. Adam and Eve, the first two people, and they sinned and turned away from God, and they brought sin into the world, and their children committed murder. And by the time of Noah, God had come up with a plan. He was going to reduce the population down to eight and start over again, and that didn't work. So then God established a new covenant through Abraham, a covenant of blessing, and God was going to bless the whole world through Abraham. That didn't work. So then God, uh, he, he came up with a new covenant, a covenant with Moses, the law, which that didn't work. And not because God's plans weren't good. They were all good plans. But because people continued to sin. And so finally God said, okay, that's it. No more of this. I'm going to do something personally that, that nobody is going to be able to misunderstand, although people still do because we're people. But what happened is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came as a baby. He grew up, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the, all of the requirements of the law so that he could die in our place. And, and that's what it says. It's because God's rich mercy and love, that's not because we're good, not because we do things that matter, but because God loves us so much that he died on the cross for us. And then in verse 6, this is the key verse for that statement of sit, it says this, for he, that is God, raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated, with us, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So here I am. I sit down. Here's Christ Jesus. I get to sit here because God raised Jesus from the dead. He raised me up from sin and death. He gave me a new life. I get to sit with Jesus because of what Jesus did. So if anybody, if anybody in the room ever wants to know why is Chris Marshall sitting in this chair right next to Jesus, <laughs> It's not because of Chris Marshall. It's not because of anything I did. It's because of what Jesus did. If you, want, if you could just pretend for a minute that you're sitting in the chair, you know, seat of honor, and you're sitting in the seat of honor and Jesus is right next to you, how did you get there? Nothing you did. It's only because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's what it says in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. It's, it's such, a key word, such a key reality because I get to sit here. You get to sit beside Jesus because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. In fact, in verse 7, it says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us 
as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. You see, whenever somebody who knew me a long time ago sees me sitting here next to Jesus, they go, why is he sitting there? What, what right does he have to sit there? And the answer is, I don't have any right. And, and maybe your life has been so messed up that once Jesus Christ came in and took over, that somebody who knew you before you got saved by Jesus Christ, by his blood, by his redemption, before that, they might say, what right does she have, what right does he have to think that there's any reason why God, the God of the universe, would let him or her sit in that chair? Well, well there's no reason we would have a right to think that. It's a gift. It's a blessing. It's by grace we have been saved. In fact, Paul goes on to say a couple of very powerful things uh, real clearly. Once again, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So many people in our day think they're basically good people. In fact, one of the things that has happened because so many people think they're basically good people is this question has arisen in our culture. Here's the question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know that bad things don't happen to good people? Bad things never happen to good people. There aren't any good people. That's the answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. There aren't any good people. There are only redeemed people and lost people. That's all there are. And bad things happen to all of us because of sin in the world. That's why bad things happen to us. Even after we're redeemed, bad things still happen to us. And so... Fallen nature says, I'm a good person. I don't understand why bad stuff has happened to me. That's what the fallen nature of, of, of humanity says. But from God's perspective, here's what God says. I don't, I don't understand why they're accusing me of being bad. I don't understand why they're accusing me of not being good or not having any power. I, I came in the man Jesus Christ and died on the cross and rose again to give freedom, to give new life, and, and to give... Uh, Abundant life, now and forever. I don't understand why people think that bad things happen to good people because bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people who think they're good. And bad things happen to redeem people because sin is still, you know, the spiritual battle is still going on and occasionally the devil wins a battle. But from God's perspective, God has, first of all, created a perfect world that we messed up. And then God has sent the solution to our sin so that we can sit back down next to him. We can have that position of being in Jesus Christ, being with him now and forever. Paul really understood that because as a Pharisee, what Paul would have th thought was he would get to sit next to God because of how good he was, because he had obeyed the uh, uh, Mosaic law perfectly. But now he realizes nobody obeys the law perfectly. There's none good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so then he says this in verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Now, unless you're still keep, if you're still thinking that you're basically a good person, you know, because the devil is lying to us all the time, and one of the lies he says to us is this. Um, you are good. You know, don't listen to that pastor up there. He's trying to tell you you're a bad person. You're not a bad person. You're better than most of the people in this room. That's what the devil is constantly doing. Now, I had a head start on realizing that I was a bad person. I had a head start on realizing because when I was five years old, and, I, and I've said this story about three or four times whoa, in the last month or so, so you're probably getting sick of hearing it. But when I was five years old, my mother sent me to bed without dinner because I did something wrong again. 
And, and instead of going to bed this time, I went into my, my dad's closet. I got out his 16-gauge shotgun, put a shell in it, pointed it at the floor where I thought my mother was, and I pulled the trigger. And so I blew a hole in the floor, didn't blow a hole in my mother. Thank God for that. I got a warm, warm bottom uh, that, that was really warm for uh, quite a while, actually. Uh, and I learned something very important. I learned that I'm not a good person. In fact, I learned that I'm a bad person. And that was a gift and a blessing to me because since I was five years old, nobody has been able to convince me that I'm a good person. Now, I tell this story from time to time, and good me, well-meaning people like you, well-meaning people such as you have come to me out there on the sidewalk you know, and said, Pastor Chris, you are a good person. You're one of the best people I know. <laughs> no, I aren't. No, I aren't. I am not a good person. You are not a good person. Go home and look in the mirror and say today, I am not a good person. But that's okay because Jesus died for me. You see, I'm not a good person and, and you're not a good person. And here's the thing. Jesus died so we can sit down beside him. But the devil is clever. Ha. He, he's called the deceiver for a reason. You know what deceit is? Deceit is a lie that sounds like the truth. And so once we're sitting here with Jesus, now we realize I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. Now I know that I need Jesus and his bloodshed to give me a new life. And I'm sitting here and the devil comes up and whispers in our ear, you are such a bad person. In fact, you're such a bad person, you don't get to sit there. Sure, some other people, you know, Jesus might die for them, but he didn't die for you because you're so bad. There's no possible way that he died for you. You see, that's the other side of the devil's life. The devil can't convince us that we're basically good. He'll convince us that we're so bad that, that we, can't, we can't sit here. We don't get to. That maybe other people could, but we're just too bad. And, and that's why I think, that's why I believe that Paul wrote verse 10 to remind us that it doesn't matter what the devil tells us because the devil always lies. But what the truth is, and, and I love this verse, it's, it's such a powerful verse, it, it reminds us of who we are after Jesus Christ has renewed us, but that who we are was destined before we were ever created. It says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. For we are God's masterpiece. I know I'm not a good person. I know I'm a bad person. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost. I'm lower than a worm. I deserve to burn in hell forever. Huh. I shouldn't laugh after that, right? That's not funny. But what I also know is that Jesus Christ died, rose again, reigns in power over me and all of us, and he prays for us, and he sent his spirit so that we can be transformed from the inside out. So what I know is these words are true, absolutely true. And so after I'm redeemed, where it says there that, you know, he created us anew. We're new people, born again, Jesus called it. And once we get that, we're his masterpieces. And here's the thing I know about you. Even if I never met you before, this is what I know. Before God created the universe, he designed each of us. And he gave us a shape. Uh, Rick Warren came up with this word shape. It's an acronym. Uh, and, it, and he plans for us to trust his son Jesus and to have, number one, if we have uh, Jesus in our lives, spiritual gifts. A gift or gifts from the Holy Spirit. So that's a unique thing that God gives to you. The next thing he gives to each of us is a heart or passion for something. I know people that just love older people. I know people that love babies. I know people that love, you know, lost people. I know people that, that they're just, they have a passion to see, you know, justice being done in the world. And that's God given to us. Each of us has a passion, a heart for something. We all have abilities. Our abilities are different. Some of us are good at working with our hands. Some are people are good at working with computers. Some people are good at, you know, uh, drawing. Uh, some people are good at music. 
Those are natural abilities that God uses in sometimes in powerful spiritual ways. And then we have a personality. We all have a different personality. No two of us are alike. And then we have experiences. And some of our experiences are very painful. And some of our experiences are very joyful. And those experiences shape who we are. And if you put all of those things together, God gave all of that to us before he created the universe. And he expects us to live those out because we're his masterpiece in the world. And he gives us the opportunity to do that. And that's what Paul calls us to be and to do. Because here's the thing. If we were created to glorify God, and we were, the best way we can glorify God is being who we really are. The best way we can glorify God is by doing what we were created to do. And when we do what we were created to do, there's great joy in that. There's great joy when we know what God created us to do and we're doing it. And and, uh, then the, the last thing that happens is when we're doing what God created us to do, people will notice. People will notice because of this. When, when you're not doing what God created you to do, you're usually not very happy doing it. You're not very joyful doing it. Uh, you might not do it very well. And, and there's really just sort of this, I don't know, cloud hanging over you. But when you're really doing what you were designed to do, people are amazed. Because people go, I, I didn't think somebody could do that. You know, I, I just, that's amazing. And, and the truth of the matter is, it's not whether, it's not necessarily something that we would call spiritual. I have seen carpenters, and when I see what they do, I go, whoa, God has to be in that, you know, because that's incredible. I have seen teachers that are teaching, you know, a class of students, and the, and the kids are just, just right there. It's, how do you do that? Well, well, you can't really do that. I mean, there are teaching techniques that work, but you know what I'm talking about when somebody, you know, somebody has this gift, And that's what it is from God, and they're using it. You see, I'm a pastor. Everybody knows that. I'm a preacher. Everybody knows that. And one of the things I really don't really like to do that much sometimes is hang out with pastors because there's a lot of pastors who either out of a a false sense of humility or a true sense of failure, they get a group of us together. Pastors get together, you know, and they say, man, we really, we really not that good at what we do. And if it's a Monday, oh, man, you don't ever want to get together with a group of pastors on Monday because, you know, they think they did a really bad job preaching. And I don't like to get together with pastors on Monday because I always feel good on Monday. When I leave here today, I'm going to feel great. I actually already do. You know, because, because I don't go on Monday and go, man, I didn't really do such a good job. You know, I'm, I'm really, what I do is I say, God gave me abilities to do what I do. And I get to tell people that there's a God who has a son whose name is Jesus. And he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he's up in heaven right now. And he sent his Holy Spirit into our lives and he's coming back. And it's going to be perfect. And I get to do that every week. Well, not every week because sometimes Brad does. But most weeks I get to do that. And when I leave here today, some of you are going to go, well, that was a pretty good sermon. You know, I mean, it's sort of funny, like, you know, it's sort of like the Olympics. You know, the Russian judge always gives you a two, but everybody else, you know, you get a six uh, if it's swimming. Okay, or a 10, whatever. But the bottom line is, you know, I used to care whether you gave me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I used to care whether I got a 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 0. I don't care because here's what I know. God, after this message, God is going to say, good job. So that's it. And when you do whatever it is that you do and you hear God say, good job. Wow, there's nothing like that. And that's what we were created to do. All of us were created to do that. And when I used to be a carpenter, I, I, that's what I looked for. I didn't look for the, the acclaim of people. I looked for God to say, good job, Chris. When I pumped gas, when my one summer I pumped gas, and I'll tell you what, I'm good at that. 
I enjoyed it. And people would say, man, you're really good at this. And it was in New Jersey. I know they don't pump gas here in Pennsylvania, but they still do in New Jersey. You see, because whatever we do, we can do it well. We can do it to God's glory because we were created to be God's masterpiece. And after we're renewed in Christ Jesus, after we're sitting here, that's what we get to do. So here, I have a little prayer that I wrote, and I'm going to read it because I think it's very important for all of us. My prayer for each of us is that we're going to experience the fullness of God's grace in Jesus Christ right now. That we may know that while we never could ever do anything to deserve the right to sit here in this seat of honor, that we get to sit here now and forever because of what Jesus has done. Now, I know that's a simple truth, but it changes us from the inside out when we believe it because when we believe it, we no longer strive to be good or we no longer, you know, are mired in this thing that we're no good. Because God created us before the beginning of the universe to do the good works that he created us to do. And we get to do that. And so what happens sometimes, I've seen it happen. It's unfortunate when it happens. But sometimes people get it. I, I, I'm seeing it sitting here with Jesus. And, and then they say, you know what, I think I'm just going to sit here. I think I'm just going to stay here with Jesus. I'm not going to ever get up because this just feels so good. And it does feel so good whenever you're, you know, you're in tune with Jesus and you're praying. and It just feels so good. But, but you know, there are two more verbs after sit, walk and stand. And so we, ha- we have to stop sitting at a certain point and we have to get up. And we have to walk, which means live in the ways of Jesus. Because if we just keep sitting in the chair and praising God and basking in that, all that glory, what happens is we don't ever tell somebody about Jesus. They don't ever see us doing those good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. They don't, they don't see that. So we have, to, we have to, eventually we have to get up and we have to walk away. And we have to stand against the enemy because he's real. And he's either going to tell you you're basically good or you're so bad that either way, you don't need Jesus. But we do. And so here's today's commitment. And this commitment um, will change the world if we do it. It says this, I will live as one who is seated with Jesus this week. I will live as one who is seated with Jesus this week. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to think of your favorite chair, if you have one, or a chair that's at work, or maybe it's, you know, I don't know, in your living room, something. And I want you to, every day this week, in a way to get started of sitting with Jesus, I want you to sit down in that chair the beginning of the day. Just sit down, or the end of the day, whatever, whenever you want to. Just sit down and just say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you died for me so I can have a new life. I thank you that even though I was an enemy of yours, I, once, once I, I didn't belong to you, now I do. And then I just want you to ask, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can get up from this chair and I can walk in your ways and I can, and I can stand against the enemy. Now, I decided to start doing this, practicing it, because I wanted to, to see if it you know, made any difference in my own life because why should I tell you to do something if it didn't change me? So yesterday I was sitting in my chair. It's, a, it's not a fancy chair. It was actually a chair that my wife Nancy and I bought before we were married. We used to go to auctions before we got married and we bought furniture because we knew we were going to get married. And so that, those days they called it setting up housekeeping, you know. So we bought this old mohair couch and chairs and we had it refinished and we've had it, you know, it was probably 50 years old when we bought it. We've had it for 38 or 39 years, so it's old. And so it's in our basement now, this chair, green chair, sitting there. And I, was, I sat down on it, and I, you know, I did what I told you. I sat down and said, God, I thank you so much. 
um, just for sending Jesus to give me a new life. And as I was sitting there, I, I sort of felt some eyes, you know, and I looked over about 10 feet away. There was Sugar, our cat. Now, I've never been a cat guy, okay? I, I don't like cats that much. Uh, actually, not at all. So anyway, um, we got a cat about not quite a year ago now. And so Sugar has been sort of growing on me a little bit. And, you know, Sugar is like all cats. I think all cats are like this. They don't really, they're not like dogs where they come and just love you because you're there. They, they come when they want loved, you know? And so Sugar, you know, will come when I'm feeding her, and she'll lay over and want to be petted and stuff. But she has nothing to do with me, like when I'm sitting down. She'll come over to Nancy, and she'll sit in Nancy's lap in the evening or whatever. But she never has done that, ever. So I'm sitting there, and I look up and, you know, and I make eye contact with Sugar, and she goes, meow. So I don't know what that means. I don't speak cat. All right. So anyway, so Sugar, like literally 10 seconds later, Sugar walks over right here, and my, my chair has like a thing here, and she puts her feet up on the front of my chair, and I'm sitting there, and I look at her, and she jumps up in my lap, and then she takes her nose like right next to my nose. Her eyes are like this close to me, you know, and like looks at me, and then she sits down and like curls up like cats do, you know, and just lays down on my lap. I'm like, this is weird, you know, because um, it's never happened before. And you know, I looked at my watch. It was 2.18. And the reason I looked at my watch is because this never happened before, you know. And I'm thinking, eh, it's, it's all right. And like, none of my favorite experience in my life so far. But I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder why would sugar come and sit in my lap when I was just praying for God to, you know, A, thank God for what he did in Jesus Christ, and B, to fill me up with the Holy Spirit. So as I, I just would go back to praying, and Sugar's sitting there, you know, and it's 2.18, and the next thing I know, it was 2, uh, 2.40. So apparently I fell asleep while Sugar was on my lap, and Sugar's still on my lap, you know, 22 minutes later. And, and what I, I've been saying this at the, the last few services, you know, I think somewhere between about 2.22, 2.23, I fell asleep. So do I get credit for like 17 minutes of extra prayer time? <laughs> I don't know. It really doesn't matter. Um, but, but when I woke up at 2.40, there was sugar, and she was sound asleep. And, and I tell you this story not because I like cats, because <laughs> I still don't really, except for sugar. She's all right. Um, um, but I tell you this story because something sugar, a cat, noticed was different about me while I was sitting there praying to God. And I don't know. They say cats can sense stuff or dogs or whatever, animals. Um, but this cat sat there, and, and actually it got a little awkward because 22 minutes sitting with a cat in my lap, I, I just don't do that, you know. And, and so I, I said, sugar, you're going to have to get up. You know, i got to walk. I've been sitting, I know i got to go walk. And she didn't understand. She didn't understand English anymore than I understand cat. So I picked her up gently, and I put her down, and I got up. And then I came here, and I preached. And, and the point that all of us, I hope, will take away from this is if we take a, a few minutes every day to sit, and remember who we are. We're children of the living God of the universe. We sit in the seat of honor, not because of anything we did. We didn't do anything to deserve it, but because Jesus died and rose again, um, that's why we get to sit here. And if he's the Savior and Lord of our lives, that's what we get. And, and maybe as you sit there and you thank him for that, and as you ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, I don't know, maybe something weird will happen to you. Or maybe not. But what I pray will happen is that in that moment of stopping from all the stuff that we do, that we'll just sit there and remember who we are. And, and as we get up then and go out and do our 
work or if we get up and take care of our family or as we get up and go to worship or whatever it is that we do, that God will be glorified and that people will, will notice the difference. Because that's the plan. The plan is that people, fallen people, who start out lower than worms, will be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and receive the infinite cosmic power of God, be changed from the inside out, and we'll be able to make a difference in our world. And so that's my prayer for this week, for all of us. Now, if you're here today and you believe still that you're basically a good person, that's the devil that's telling you that lie. Or if you're here today and, and you believe that you're so bad that nobody could ever love you, that's also the devil's lie. The truth is so simple. There is a God who has a son named Jesus who loves us infinitely and he died and rose again that we can have life forever. If you've never received that truth into your life, I would just ask that you do it right now. Just say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment, but you give me the seat of honor and I take it gratefully. And fill me with your spirit so that I can live that new life. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then my prayer for you and for me is what I just said, that we'll take that time, please. Because, I, you know, this week is a busy week, isn't it? I don't even know what you're doing, but you're all busy. And we're all busy. It's a busy week. So take some time every day to just sit. Remember who you are. You are a child of the living God. You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for the good works he planned for us long ago. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who we are. I thank you that we get to sit in the seat of honor because of you, not because of us. I thank you that as we go out of this place today, the same truth that has been true since you created the universe is you're in charge. And your son Jesus is the redeemer of life and that your Holy Spirit empowers us to live new lives. And so I pray, God, for every one of us, especially for any who just trusted you for the very first time as Savior and Lord, that we would go out of this place remembering who we are because of who you are and that we would live victorious lives, sitting in the seat of honor, walking in your ways and standing firm against the enemy this week. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.